Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. School violence is a multidimensional problem. While the majority of headlines go to the spate of deadly school shootings, there is a different and much less publicized kind of violence that's troubling in its own way. Can any of it be prevented? A day-long gathering of experts is taking place at the University of Missouri-St. Louis this Thursday, titled the Youth Violence Prevention Conference. Joining me in studio from the Department of Criminology and Criminal Justice at UMSL are Finn Esbenson. He's the E. Desmond Lee Endowed Professor of Youth Crime and Violence. Leanne Slocum is an associate professor in that department. Thanks, both of you, so much for being here. Thank you. Finn, let me begin with you. Um, it's really kind of a it's, – it's erroneous to think of school shootings as the only problem in schools today concerning violence in particular. Right. Um, yeah, school shootings garner all of the attention. Sure. And uh, I was thinking you might talk about this, so I was, I was going to draw an analogy, if, if you will, allow me to, in, in that people are worried about school shootings. Uh, it's similar to traveling, and you're off to visit a – a uh, family member who lives um, several hundred miles away, so you, you, you decided to fly. And you have all this apprehension about the flying, and you don't give any consideration to driving. Mm-hmm. Uh, yet it's the driving that is the dangerous part of your entire trip. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, but there's this focus on, on the, the lack of control that you have about the flying. Similar situation, if, if you will, it, to s- school violence. It's the shootings that... Uh, they're statistically rare events. Uh, they're usually beyond much control, uh, and they garner the attention. But things such as theft, the traditional uh, lunch money theft, um, the bullying, cyberbullying today, those have much more uh, effect on a multitude of kids and on a regular daily basis. Lee, I gather that one of the offshoots of this uh, often is suicide. I mean, that's that's an issue that uh, we don't hear anything about. No, we don't really hear much about that. We do know that things like bullying can have serious consequences for youth and their mental health and their performance in school. So, um, But we don't hear as much about the negative consequences of those minor forms of violence as we do about, poli- about shootings. So what are the kinds of things that you talk about at your conferences? And, Finn, I know you've been doing this for 17, 18 years, whatever it's been. What kinds of things are you talking about at the conferences to, to stop this, to curtail it? Well, each, each year the Youth Violence Prevention Conference has a different theme. And, and um, back in the fall, I uh, selected school violence and school safety as, as a theme. And, and so invited speakers from across the country, and they'll focus on uh, such things as uh, race and uh, ethnic effects, and especially with regard to the school-to-prison school pipeline. Uh, there'll be speakers talking about uh, LBGTQI issues. Uh, uh, others will be talking about uh, the role of uh, school violence and the effect on girls and boys. Uh, uh, a couple of the speakers will, will talk about more program uh, involvement interventions. Uh, one, one will focus on the challenges to implementing school-wide uh, uh, intervention programs. Mm-hmm. Lee, it's one thing to talk about it. How about doing something about it? I mean, how, how do you approach that part of it? Well, there, um, there are interventions that can be done at, at multiple levels. So for one thing, um, you can intervene at the individual level. Who's intervening? Well, generally it would be programs run through schools is what, is what we're talking about. Um, so, for example, something like the GREAT program, which is something that Finn has evaluated 
um, folk brings uh, police officers into into school to work with youth to um, uh, to essentially change their attitudes about gangs, um, delinquency, um, and and their relationships with the police. Um, but so there are individual level programs. There are also um, something that might be more effective, which is changing the school environment. Um, so that's where most uh, most of the effective programs are, trying to build um, better relationships between teachers and students, um, a more supportive climate, um, and things like that. You can also intervene by target hardening, which involves the use of things like metal detectors, um, cameras, locked doors during the school day. Uh, and most schools do have some kind of form of target hardening, or many schools do, um, but that is, you know, there's very few studies to find that that is effective. So this intervening in the school environment really is the most effective way to to, to um, combat school safety issues. Do most schools have programs such as those you described? Uh, mo- most schools have uh, individual level uh, change strategies, as they're called, such as the great program, DARE, life skills training mm-hmm. Um, uh, positive peer uh, mentoring programs. And these are all relatively easy to implement. Many of them are CAN programs. Um, Many of them are taught, as Lee mentioned, by uh, uh, police officers brought into the schools. Uh, Back in uh, 2000, one national study found that the average middle school had uh, over 20 of these programs operating at any one time during the school year. Uh, haven't seen any more recent data. Very few program, very few schools implement environmental change strategies. The ones that are the most effective are the ones that are least utilized. Uh, interestingly enough, and in part that that they're, they're just more difficult to implement. And as I mentioned, one of the speakers will be talking about specific challenges. That really surprises me. The lack of implementation, particularly in in today's environment, with all the publicity that the the shootings have given. Right. The, the, the kind of environmental change strategies that have been found to be effective are, are uh, when you have more of a participatory management structure in schools that, that's driven by the leadership of the principal. Uh, the students and teachers are part of the, the, the process. Um, managing classrooms uh, through uh, nonviolent measures. Uh, a, a de-emphasis on exclusionary disciplinary practices so that instead of suspending and expelling students, deal with them within the school setting. Is there any kind of a yardstick out there to determine how successful these programs are where they are implemented? Well, the, the gold standard in most evaluation research is the randomized control trial. And um, some of the individual change strategies have uh, been proven, been found to be promising. Um, very few have met the, criteria, the strict criteria of, of being uh, effective um, by the Colorado Blueprint standards, that is. Uh, the environmental change strategies, there are two programs in particular. One is the Oveas anti-bullying program, and the other is the uh, Raising Healthy Children uh, program that have been found to be effective. What kind of research goes on with regard to uh, what happens outside of the school that may lead to some of the situations inside, the, the, the bullying, you will, the stairwell beatings, that sort of thing that uh, are relatively common? Well, I think um, one thing that we do know is that most youth are exposed to violence outside of school. Um, so that's where most serious violence is going to be happening. So um, we know that in the city, the firearm death rate for youth is more than three <clears throat> times the national rate. 
um, and that the St. Louis area is ninth in the nation for the number of youth who are murdered by by guns. Um, And most victims in the city are under the age of 25. So this kind of um, exposure to violence outside of the school environment can impact students inside the school. So they bring that trauma with them, and that can lead to things like acting out in school, um, externalizing behaviors where um, they have a hard time sitting in class. Um, And it can lead to problems with performance in schools as well, um, research has shown. So the school is not an isolated environment. It operates within the neighborhood, and it's important to consider how those two things work together. The, the, the teachers, I would think, administrators would pay, play a key role uh, in all of this in trying to, to curb this kind of violence. Um, am I right on that, number one? And number two, if I am, how, how are they trained to, to deal with it? Well, I mean, teachers are trained to be teachers. Right. I mean, that is their focus. Um, but they have all kinds of other issues thrown at them as well. Um, I, I'm not an expert in teacher education, uh, so I, I can't address mm-hmm. that. I don't know the extent to which they're, they're uh, dealing with uh, behavioral problems and such. But you would think that they would have to be able to, to pick up on, on, on problems within the classroom, problem oh, yeah. kids. Yeah, I, I, I have to suspect that they, they, they do have a healthy dose of exposure to, to strategies for dealing with, with problem, problem kids in the school. And but, I say problem kids, they're, they're kids that are acting out, as Lee mentioned, in part because of trauma ba- experienced in the community or in the home. But one of the numbers that I have that I think came from you is the fact that uh, in a survey that you did that 25 percent of the kids in St. Louis County are afraid to go to school? At least, uh, in, in yes, <laughs> let, let me backtrack on that. Uh, we're we're doing a study in St. Louis County schools, and twenty five percent of the kids mentioned that at least once in the past year have they not attended school because of uh, concerns for for their safety, uh, and that about ten percent of them it's been multiple times that they've not attended school uh, because of that. That has negative consequences for them in terms of their school performance, eventual school completion, graduation. Uh, and so those are some, some of the insidious kinds of things that, that we're mentioning that, that are impacted by less uh, serious kinds of uh, violence than the school shootings. Why the survey in St. Louis County? Have you done anything in the city where I would imagine the problem might be more significant? Uh, we... we are doing the, st- the survey in, in St. Louis County because that's where we were able to get cooperation from the schools. Ah. Lee, let me turn to you with an issue that comes up here on this program from time to time, and that is the issue of the young brain development and the role that that plays in kids getting into trouble and, and particularly in, in violent situations. Are you doing any research at all on the young brain and its no. development? <laughs> No, we're not doing any uh, research on that in our department, but there is um, there is an extensive amount of research going on, particularly in biology and um, you know neurobiology, looking at that and trying to understand how this developing brain uh, impacts youth's behavior. Um, but we do know that something like exposure to trauma can can actually shift, um, you know, the the brain. Um, can have a can having a lasting effect on on things like that. Kind of a PTSD situation for youngsters who are exposed to that trauma. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. 
Yeah. We've got to take a break. Let's do that now. We'll continue our conversation on school violence. Our emphasis today is not on the shootings we've been hearing so much about, but the other kind of violence that takes place in most schools, probably all schools across the country. And uh, we'll continue that conversation. If you'd like to be a part of it, we'd love to have you. Give us a call at 382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can send us an email to talk at stlpublicradio.org. Or if you'd prefer to send a tweet, do so at STL on air. Back in just a moment, this is St. Louis on the air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. And welcome back. We'll continue our conversation on school safety and school violence in just a moment. But first, here are some of the stories our St. Louis Public Radio newsroom is following today. The president of the Missouri Farm Bureau says a possible trade war with China could be devastating for many farmers in this state. And Washington University scientists are among the lead researchers on a recently completed 13-year project mapping the DNA of 33 major cancers. Proponents say understanding which DNA mutations cause tumors will help create more precise medicine, offering tailored treatment for specific types of cancer. Join St. Louis Public Radio this afternoon for local and regional news and throughout the day on our website at stlpublicradio.org. Now back to our conversation with uh, uh, Finn Esbenson and uh, Lee Ann Slocum from uh, University of Missouri St. Louis. We're talking about school violence. I want to go right to the phones and bring in Ron calling from St. Louis. Welcome, Ron. You're on the air. Hey, uh, Don. Uh, I just wanted to talk, ask the, the guests what do they think about zero tolerance policies. I'm an advocate of it uh, only because you have to reduce the amount of trauma that young people um, uh, I guess, or the environment of trauma that young people experience in, in school. And I believe that this classroom management stuff is a joke. In the old days, kids behaved and they didn't. They sent them to the principal office. And the principal gave them three swats, and they acted okay for about the next two or three months. And the pipeline to prison starts with the parents. It doesn't start in the classroom. But the parents have more time with their children than teachers do. And um, this trauma with the kids acting up is causing a lot of teachers to leave the profession which now you don't have the teachers that are in the profession for 20 and 30 years. And most, many of them probably do about an average of five years and they burnt out. But we do need more music, art, sports, and other activities and music that have been uh, deleted from schools. That would help a little bit. Ron, thanks so much for the call. Well, the, I think the three SWATs are out of the picture. That's not going to be happening yeah, anytime happening. soon. Ben, go ahead. I was going to defer to Lee on this one here. All right. Okay, well, I mean, I think the caller does bring up a few important points that it is hard for teachers in the classroom to manage these issues and that a lot of teachers do get get burnt out. 
um, and that there is kind of this um, tension between um, maintaining order in the classroom as well as an inclusive environment for everyone. Um, but um, it's also important to recognize that zero tolerance policies can have a lot of negative consequences. So um, the civil rights data collection, which is run by the Department of Education, every year they, um, they, they get information from schools on the number of students who are suspended and expelled as well as their race. Um, and um, what they found was that even though uh, suspensions and expulsions are decreasing, that um, still 2.8 million students were uh, suspended from, from school in 2013 to 2014, which mm -hmm. is the most recent year um, that we have data. And um, the, another important point to come out from the research is that uh, black students were nearly four times as likely to be suspended as white students um, and that they were nearly twice as likely to be expelled and that this pattern um, was even more pronounced in the early years, in the preschool years. Mm -hmm. uh, so we do know that it has the harm of disproportionately affecting African Americans. Um, we also don't really have any good evidence that it makes schools safer places. So, um, um, and so without really strong studies to show that it has an effect, you want to balance the consequences versus the, yeah. any unknown benefits. Um, some schools are trying things called restorative justice programs where they try to keep students within the school. Um, it's kind of like uh, hate the sin, love the sinner, um, where they, they, wanna, they want to tell students that their behavior is not okay, but bring them back into a supportive environment mm. and mediate disputes that are going on there rather than excluding students from, mm. from the school. Finna, is there any uh, school system, any district here in our area that is is doing a superior job in, in dealing with these sorts of things? Well, I'd, I'd rather not address that particular issue uh, in terms of uh, outing any particular schools. There are there are schools. Well, you, you, outing a school that's doing a good job doesn't sound like a very negative thing to me. Well, the schools that are participating in our study uh, have asked not to be identified. So, you know, because of that confidentiality, I can't really address that question. Mm. You said something interesting during the break. You said that uh, concerning school safety, it's, it surprised me. It, yeah, I mean, it, it, we 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 hear about all the school. Well, we hear about school shootings, um, and horrific as they 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 are, they're they're still statistically rare. Uh, we've been talking about other forms of of uh, school violence and and lack of school safety, but we we still need to remember that schools are still the safest place for kids to spend their time. Uh, for every child that is, that is killed in a school shooting, there are 60 to 100 that are killed in their communities. That's pretty stark. Pretty, yeah. Yeah. What about school resource officers? Is this a good idea? We, we hear about that a lot uh, and uh, putting a, a uniformed police officer in the school. Um, it is a, a strategy that has been implemented in, in many schools, if not most school districts, uh, where police officers are assigned to not, not only the school district but to specific schools. Um, and uh, there is mixed evidence on, on this, and, and this is one of the areas that Lee uh, specializes in, so I will deflect uh, the comment for her. You're on, Lee. Oh, I specialize is a strong word there, Finn, uh -huh. but. <laughs> yeah, <all right. laughs> um, 
Well, I mean, one of the, the there are a number of arguments in favor of uh, officers in schools. So, you know, they do provide some surveillance and enforcement. Um, uh, there is some evidence that when students interact with a police officer, it can, it can improve their bond, at least with that police officer. Um, and the idea is that they might be more likely to reach out, reach out to them and tell them of problems or safety-related issues in the school. Um, and then, of course, they're there to respond in, in real emergencies. But a lot of, but there are a number of um, points that show that this can really actually cause some damage in schools as well. So there was one study that was um, done uh, by Denise Godfredson that um, used data collected from schools at, across the nation. And what they found was that um, there was something called net widening going on where the schools were more likely to refer minor offenses to police um, when there was a school resource mm -hmm. officer in there. Um, so that's one of the, the potential negative um, damages from having them there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but, um, yeah. Then you had mentioned suspensions uh, earlier. Mm -hmm. Are suspensions an effective way to deal with problems? You probably get different re answers from uh, folks who have to deal with the, the kids on a daily basis. But, you know, the, as with zero tolerance, the, the exclusionary types of, of discipline practices are, are not uh, deemed to be the, the best approach. Mm -hmm. you, you two have collaborated on a white paper for, and submitted to the Justice Department, as I understand mm -hmm. it. What sort of recommendations uh, d did you make in that white paper? Well, in that white paper, we, we did an extensive review of uh, basic research on causes, consequences of uh, school violence, school safety, and we reviewed some of the uh, research that has looked at um, uh, addressing school safety, and that's where some of the comments we made earlier uh, are derived from that white paper. Well, what sort of response did the Justice Department give you to all of that? Well, they thanked us, and, and uh, as far as we know, it's sitting on a desk somewhere. Yeah. Your focus uh, on the conference that later this week, as I understand it, is different from what you've done before. You started this in 2002. Uh, how is it different and, and why? Well, e each year I, I um, think about what what might be of interest to local practitioners and that the conference uh, is targeted primarily at, at frontline workers who, who work with youth in various settings. And over the years we've had conferences that have focused on uh, on gangs, um, on violence in general, um, on various strategies for dealing with, with youth violence. And uh, given the fact that s several, several colleagues and I are involved in school safety research, thought it would be an appropriate topic to uh, bring, bring to the community. We have some more callers. Let's get them into the conversation before we have to say goodbye. We'll start uh, with Deb, who's calling from St. Louis. Deb, you're on the air. Hi there. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, go ahead. You know, I love your show today, and I'm excited that your guests are talking about what they're talking about. And you're asking really good questions, but everybody's just a little bit of a hiccup over. 20-plus years ago, I wrote the Safe Schools Partnership. It's a program that I gave to John Albani, who was then heading up uh, the cooperating school districts, and Chief Ron Patel, who was heading up the St. Louis County Police. Where that program has been implemented, we have not had the problems. And the program is about creating a community in every school so that every school becomes the focal point for that neighborhood and for that community. 
and it's about not just bringing in police officers, it's about bringing in everybody from the community so that children, kids, teenagers, and the educators, and the staff, and the neighbors, and the parents know one another healthfully and they feel safe. That program is supposed to be sitting and operating and functioning in every school in our region, and it's not. And some of it is the politics. And that's really unfortunate. And Don, that's the reason why we continue to see shootings and bullying is that people get lost in the politics of it. We've got to put the politics out to pasture and focus on national well-being and health and happiness for kids as they're growing up. No child, I was, I was grateful to your guests for exposing that kids are feeling afraid to go to school. We have to pay really close attention to that. Not one single child should be afraid to go to school. It's horrifying. But there's a solution. It's called the Safe Schools Partnership. All right, Deb, thanks for the call. Have you heard of the Safe School Partnership? It's 20 years old. I must play, play, uh, plead ignorance on that. I do not. So I'm, I'm glad that Deb made the call and, and informed us about it. What about the, uh, the politics of all of this? Politics and funding are, are two issues that, that just simply won't go away. Um, you know, but the the kinds of things that that, that Deb mentioned are are part of what we called earlier environmental change strategies, mm -hmm. where you involve the community, the teachers, the kids, the administration, uh, in providing a safe environment. Um, a lot of times, those sorts of changes require uh, a political shift in orientation. Um, as our first caller. Um, he would probably not be very sympathetic to to the the strategy that that Deb uh, explained. Uh -huh. Any comment to that, uh, Lee? Um, no, no. Okay, let's take another call. Before we wrap it up, Mike in St. Louis, it's your turn. Go ahead. Hi, Don and guests. What? Looking at our our violence in our schools, sort of in isolation, uh, I think is is a is a difficult and probably. Uh, uh, I don't know if it can be done. How do we compare to other cultures, other schools around the world? Uh, I mean, do you have sort of a baseline of study or, or uh, the ability to com compare and contrast that to figure out what you know what's wrong with us? Finn, do you want to take that? Have you done anything outside of this area? Well, I've, I've been involved in school-based research for the last uh, 30 years across the country and have, have conducted research in over 100 different middle schools. Um, and there's incredible variability uh, across those schools and across time. Um, with regard to international data sets, I, uh, you know, if you look at school shootings, uh, the U.S. Is, is definitely an anomaly. Uh, it, it's not... Uh, a common occurrence or even a r rare occurrence in other countries. It's a non-occurrence. Mm -hmm. But bullying and, and the, the stairwell violence, if you will. The, the, that sort of stuff is, is fairly regular, um, and other countries are dealing with it. Um, Norway is, is a, a leader on the bullying uh, prevention arena. Um, the Obeus anti-bullying program is, is, has its origins in Norway. Uh, and has found that environmental change strategies, such as Deb mentioned, are effective in reducing bullying within the school context, and then that extends to beyond school. Uh, Lee, I hate to put it this way, but isn't the kind of things that we're talking about in the school, the shootings aside now, but the bullying and, and, uh, and other issues, isn't this really just part of growing up? Isn't this what kids do? 
That is, that is a that is a hard way to put it. I think one thing to consider um, is that in some ways things like technology have changed what students are experiencing. So on the one hand, while bullying has always been around, um, we're finding out that, that cyberbullying is another issue, and that is something that you can't get away from from staying away from school if you're on technology. So um, I think I think there's also now a greater recognition of the of the consequences that occur from bullying as well. So um, and then also, I mean, these programs they they teach they teach skills about how students can deal with these, and that, that's going to be good throughout the rest of their lives. So. We have to wrap this. Go ahead, uh, Finn. I'd like to make one one comment, and that is there's there's a, a data source that the, the the government puts out, indicators of school crime and safety, uh, that's published every year. And uh, one one thing that I think is worth pointing out here at the end is that since 1992, there has been an overall annual decline in school violence and school victimization. So that schools have become safer places, in spite of. Uh, our conversation here today. Yeah. Well, let's uh, on that note, let's uh, wrap up this conversation. I want to thank you both for being with us, Professors uh, Finn Esbenson and Leanne Slocum from the UMSL Criminology Department. A reminder, the Youth Violence Prevention Conference will be held on Thursday at UMSL's J.C. Penney Auditorium from 8 to 4. Up next, our corporations people, this is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.